Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I am so excited about the last portion of the interview with Brendan Case. You're going to love this back and forth conversation about fasting and discerning how to fast wisely and well and how to humbly not fast. And then I'm going to um, pick up from there and talk to Sister Mary Eucharista about the Eucharistic procession and the time of adoration, as well as the Holy Name of Mary, which was yesterday's feast day. So a full program with another wonderful set of interviews. And then don't forget, tomorrow is Peter Herbeck from Renewal Ministries. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. So, Brendan, um, one of the things that is sort of the mystery here is the mystery of God's plan working itself out. So I'm going to take something from what you said. I'm going to speak it back to you as I feel like maybe there's an insight for me here. I experienced the humility of facing the fleshly desire that pushes me towards eating. And at the same time, and I think folks experienced this this morning, Okay, I had my coffee, black. I didn't put in cream and sugar, black coffee, good. Okay, but I'm feeling the rumblings in the tummy saying I'm hungry. Let me get keto. Just let me have a couple of eggs. Okay, now that's not intermittent fasting, but okay, it's not junk food. But in the freezer, there was a hash brown. <laughs> there was the hash brown. And but wouldn't it be great to just have a hash brown just kind of in the center of those eggs and just kind of, oh, that would be great. You know, oh man. And sure enough, I I went for the eggs and I came out with eggs and a hash brown. And even as I'm cooking it, I'm feeling the failure. Like, Lord, I don't want this even as the flesh in me wants this. Lord, I, I, I know how disappointed in myself I'm going to be, even as I enjoy it. So enjoying it at the human level is contrasted with the joy, what only satisfies is sacrificial self-giving after the manner of Christ with the grace of Christ. So let's kind of come in here. Lord, are you giving me the grace to be able to deny self when it comes to this fleshly desire, which is not purely sinful. It's not a sinful no, no, thing no. to want to have eggs and a hash brown. But if it is me settling for less than God's grace to be able to deny myself in that and to engage in a kind of well, intermittent fasting or a keto form of eating, then I am falling short. But maybe the grace is to humbly acknowledge that 
that is not what the Lord is gracing me to be able to do right now. And I have to be humble enough to say, don't beat yourself up, Tom. That's not the grace I'm offering you right now. But instead, do you know what I'm doing? I'm giving up watching chess videos on YouTube, which was a little pleasure that I would give myself once a day. Once a day, I would watch a chess video where I could watch grandmasters enjoy their game. And I'm doing this in solidarity with my wife, with Carrie. She's giving up another online activity that is, you know, it's it's kind of fun, but frivolous. And it's like, I'll give that up. But I'm like, I'll join you. I'll join you. Sacrificial self-love, sacrificial self-giving. I'll do that. And I've received the grace to be able to do that. But the grace to be able to do the intermittent fasting. Okay. Now here's the thing. Am I, am I deluding myself to think that, Oh, Tom, you know, clever you, you just got out of having to do intermittent fasting because uh, you just called it. Well, God's humbling me to realize that it's not just a human effort. It also requires God's grace. And he's not gracing you to do that. He's gracing you to experience the humility of realizing you're not in control over it or Am I just settling for less because I'm weak and fallen? And in fact, God is giving me the grace and I just got to act in the minute, in the minute, in the minute and say, Lord, please give me the grace. I humbly cry out to you. I'm powerless right now. Give me the grace. Lord, please, this is going to pass if I just am willing. I think, isn't that the interesting kind of discernment thing? Yeah, yeah. And and I don't want to come off as sounding like a spiritual master about this stuff because this is. This is beautiful. It's large in our tradition. Tom, can I speak into that? Please go, go, can go. I speak into the ha- hash browns. Tom, I know you know this prayer, and and my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters that are listening, they're going to be able to. They, if they don't know this prayer, I hope they get to know this prayer. It's called the morning offering. Another thing that I learned from Fatima: the importance of giving our lives daily to the Lord. And how does the prayer go? Oh my Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary. I offer you my prayers, my works, my joys, and my sufferings in union with the holy sacrifice in the mass throughout the world. And the prayer continues on. But I want to I focus in on, on that. I offer you my prayers, my works, my joys, and my sufferings. Tom, I... Um, for years, I, I, I struggled with the sin of impurity. I'll just be honest about it. I, I grew up in a household where there were magazines when I was a little kid. I'm seeing this stuff. And I fought that battle intensely for years. Thanks be to God. I'm in a different place now. He's given me grace. I've learned things over the years and I've been set free of that. But Tom, this one of the things that that. I realized, and I share this with my spiritual director, is that there was suffering in wanting to be free, and that my life is precious to God, my Father. Every bit of my life is precious to my Father, and I want to offer my life to Him so He can have that life to do whatever He wants to do with it for the salvation of souls, right? So, Tom, I took, I started to take, when I would fall, when I would fail, falling to impurity, 
Tom, I would start offering that up to the Lord because that's not what I wanted. See, our God can take everything, that cross behind you, that is deicide. We killed God. Yikes, you want to have a big failure in life. Oops, that's not the one you want to do, kids. But God can take that most horrendous thing that is. And if we do with love, it can return to the most glorious thing that's ever happened. He can even take our failure and turn that, that I ate the hash brown. God, I give you that. I give you that. And the other thing, Tom, I would say about that offering is notice that word joy. Notice that word joy. I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and suffering. Tom, you use the word that you enjoy that hash brown. Maybe right now the grace isn't there, and maybe right now you're the grace is there and you're not partnering with it, but you really enjoyed that. Well, that that hash brown, well, at least redeem it instead of just saying, Well, I failed, there's nothing in this here. No, there is something there. Eat the hash brown and say, Father, I really enjoyed this hash brown. I wish I wasn't eating it, but at least you're going to get something out of this. Thank you for giving me hash browns. And I want to use that, the enjoyment of eating this hash brown, for the salvation of souls. Why is it that we only, we say that prayer, but we only offer up our sufferings? He wants our whole life. And he'll use our whole life. Jesus didn't just redeem us on the cross. He redeemed us when he was sitting with Matthew, the tax collector, at his home, enjoying that meal. Everything, it culminates in the cross, but everything about Jesus' life. Why? Because it was commingled with the Father. Everything was joined to loving the Father and loving us. So, Tom, I, I don't know what you think about that, but I really believe that we can take our lives, every bit of it, and God can receive glory in it. And I won't. And if we don't do that, then the enemy sits there and goes, aha, look, my plan's winning. He's weak. He gave in again. We're winning. No, when we rob him of that and we give it to God, then the, the Trinity is glorified. Brennan, you said two things that uh, kind of, those were the, the pinnacle points of all of the sharing that I feel like are real advances and, and respond to my like somewhat convoluted question to you. And the, the two were the joys, offering joys. And the second was that God took the worst thing that humanity ever did and turned it into the greatest thing that he ever did. Hallelujah. So, you know, I, I love that because folks, if you're hearing this and you might think that, boy, Tom has a hard life. The worst thing he's struggling with right now is that he enjoyed a hash brown at breakfast. Right. <laughs> and, and they're thinking I'm dealing with way worse challenges and failures in my life right now or struggles well, just hear what Brendan had to say. Number one is offer that to God, that God took the worst thing that you ever did, you ever did. You participated in the death, 
of the son of God. And you continue to impact his passion, suffering, and death by every sin that you commit today, tomorrow, the next day. So you're still impacting what Jesus undergoes on the cross 2000 years ago by how you're living today. But you know what? He's not threatened by that because he takes the worst thing that you'll ever do. And maybe that worst thing is in your future. Maybe it's in today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's next week, but he, he has the capacity to say, that's all you've got. That's all you've got. (laughs) Yes. Look what I can do with that. I'm going to take the worst thing that you'll ever do. I'll turn it into the greatest thing that the world will ever see and that you'll ever see in your life. That's how big my redemption is. That's how much I've got you. So I think that that, that's a very, very important point for me to hear. Because if I end up discerning that, for instance, the eating of the hash brown was in fact a failure, then God's got that covered. He's got it covered because okay, I did fail to respond to a grace and failing to respond to that grace is what he has died on the cross for, to be able to redeem it. Okay, so that's a great consolation and encouragement to me if that's what I discern. On the other hand, if in fact I discern that the Lord is teaching me a different lesson, a lesson of humility, that I'm not Superman and that I don't get grace on command, that I remain under the hand of God and that it's not Mm -hmm. only about determined human effort, but it's also about acknowledging with great humility that my human condition requires the transformative power of God and that enjoying part of what God has created, food, and my capacity to enjoy food should not simply be associated with the flesh, but can be associated with just a joy that God gives to me because he's my loving father. And my willingness to submit it isn't, doesn't mean that I'm going to get the grace to do that. The willingness to let it go doesn't mean that the grace comes automatically, that therefore now I'm doing intermittent fasting, but there's a humility that also associates to just enjoy what I've given to you for your enjoyment. Just enjoy it. And you know what? Offer that to me. Offer to me the joy that you take without guilt, without shame. Enjoy it while I give you the grace to enjoy it and not the grace to surrender and engage in fasting and penance through it. And you know what? Let that be okay. Because maybe until I can let that be okay, it's almost not going to be spiritually healthy for me to go down what could be a Pelagian or semi-Pelagian path where, oh, I look at what God did with me for 21 days. Now look what I've been able to do. I've been able to engage now in penitential eating. Let me go give talks on this. Now I can tell everybody, yeah, look at me. Why aren't you following after this? And it's like, wow, that that's not going to make me a, a real radiant witness. That actually could be unhealthy for me. Yeah. And maybe right. I need to be able to rest in a humble enjoyment of what I would rather through my Superman brokenness want to press further into. So that's right. what I took from your points. You know, Tom, I, I just, as you, it, there's that we've all seen the image of divine mercy. 
thanks be to God, what a beautiful picture. But what's it say down at the bottom? It's the whole summary of the gospel. Jesus, I trust in you. And yes, we set out with these ideas like for Lent, I'm going to pray a rosary every day for Lent. And, and we fail. And it just brings us back to that place again of, okay, Jesus, all you got, you got me. And you, you, Jesus doesn't look at us and go, oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize I was going to get this when I got him in the waters of baptism. He knows who we are and he loves us in the midst of that. And, and again, I want to emphasize this, to turn everything into love, to, 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 to take what it is. Here we are as a human being, but God, through the grace of our sacramental life, always wants to take it up into his divine life. What is the opportunity here that God is offering for me to take this up into the divine life, even in the midst of my failure? Can divine life even come into that? And the answer is yes, it can. And that's exactly really where divine life wants to come above every place is in that place where we just don't have what it takes. Amen. Amen. Brendan, this has been amazing. And uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. But this has been an incredible conversation. And it feels like we're not done. It feels like there's so much more wow. to say. It feels like I feels like we, yeah. we just scraped the surface of ascesis. And, yeah. um, but I felt like the conversation that we had was the one that, that in fact was a blessing to us and hopefully to the yeah. folks that, that listen. So right. Brendan, thank you so much for folks. Uh, if you enjoy Brendan and you want to get to know more, Brendan, where should they go? Well, they can go to, uh, brendancase.com, brendancase.com, but you got to spell it the Irish way there, Tom, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-C-A-S-E. So if they go there, there's some tools there. And I would like to say this, Tom, my phone number is there. This is probably a crazy thing to do, but I love souls. My phone number's there. Text me. And because I have family life, I'll get back to you. And if nothing, I'll be praying for you. I love that. BrendanCase.com. Folks, again, it'll be in the description below as well as go to the website and you'll be able to see the, the description on the podcast version of this program. Brendan Case, thank you so much, dear brother, for being with me today. Okay. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Well, and welcome to the program, a Sister Mary Eucharista, sister, she is a sister of, um, Sister Mary, Mother of the Church, and Sister, we're here, I was thinking, I'm going to talk about two themes today on the program. I'm going to talk about 
Eucharistic revival as it relates to this amazing procession through the streets of Spokane, leading to an hour of adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. So Eucharistic revival. And I want to talk about the feast of the holy name of Mary. Who should I have as a guest? Who is a fitting person to have as a guest when I'm going to talk about the holy name of Mary and Eucharistic revival? I know. Sister Mary Eucharista. Wow. This is like you your program. Inspired. This is like your day, huh? Yeah, I guess so, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, it's awesome. great to have you here. I, uh, it's great you. to see you. Thank you. Now, sister, I didn't see you yesterday. Now, that well, I guess it was my fault I didn't see you. We're recording this on Monday. I know, folks, you're hearing this on Wednesday, but this is the day after this uh, time of procession with the Blessed Sacrament through the streets of Spokane winding in through the central part of Spokane and ending up at this sort of new uh, indoor pavilion. It's called the Podium, really impressive place where there were a couple of talks and reflections and a time of adoration and worship of the Lord exposed in the Blessed Sacrament. Wasn't that something, sister? I loved every second and our entire community was there. By the way, I was there, even though you didn't see me. Well, there was was always a crowd around you. Oh, really? Who gets close to Sister Mary Eucharist? I mean, the the, the celebrity nun is in town. Come on. It's my husband, Jesus. He gets everybody on board and, you know, likes he likes the chuckles and the laughs. So he's in there and he likes the deep stuff because he's, a human God who is also divine. <laughs> All right. I want to hear highlights. I want to hear highlights okay. for you. Were you at the mass at the cathedral before yes. the procession? Oh, I, I apologize. I was during, I was, we went to an earlier mass and then we went, we didn't realize the mass would still be going on the 1130. So we joined it midway. Mm-hmm. So, but the place was packed. So this was one of the things that I heard. So we were like, yeah, that, that's not very strategic. So we went to an early mass at St. Mary's, Father Lewis's parish, and it was packed. And who did we bump into? A whole bunch of families who said, we're at this mass because we're, we're going, going to, to the, the procession. procession and the time of adoration. And so, uh, but one of the testimonies was someone afterwards down in the park, Riverfront Park, just time of fellowship. They were saying, oh, yeah, I went to the mass. They said the responses of the faithful caused the church to shake. It was like Acts of the Apostles where, you know, the, the people were praying so so loudly that the house in which they were praying shook. And so she was very moved just by literally the worship that was happening in the cathedral itself. Did you now you got there midway. Did you experience any of that? You know, I, I, of course, I would tribute, attribute that to the Holy Spirit and the trumpet. Don't forget the trumpet. I'm a trumpet aficionado. But, of course, the Holy Spirit was reverberating through the church. The faithful were there to honor the source and summit of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity. And what a treat to be able to bring him through the streets of the city and, like, we're all saying, look, look who we have. There were some hecklers over on the side. And I could just imagine going over and very calmly saying, be gone. <laughs> but then I thought, what does the Lord want right now? 
He wants us to be kind and he wants us sometimes just to ignore the things that are uh, happening over on the side. He had hecklers for sure, but those hecklers were silenced at the resurrection. And, you know, heckling only comes from ignorance, truly. I mean, there is only one answer for that, as Plato would say, ignorance, that's ignorance. But yes, I felt the Holy Spirit very strongly reverberating through the cathedral mass. And what an honor to be there with our diocese. That's so awesome. So we had a family uh, meeting at 12 noon in my house. So we've got um, we've got uh, six kids out of the house at college. And so one of the ways that we are connecting with them is we do a weekly check-in over Zoom. So there is at least one good use of internet technology. And um, so we were checking in and it's like, okay, when we're done, we got to go, we got to go. So um, we finished our Zoom meeting, which was really endearing, and then jumped in the car, zipped down. And we're like, we got plenty of time because the procession time was scheduled for one to three with doors opening at the pavilion at two. So we got there about 140, uh, 1.45 and we thought, oh, well, we'll hook right up with the procession. Well, it had already made it. And we're like, hey, what happened? So I need to know what happened. Why did, how did it, uh, how was it that the procession made its way so quickly to its destination? Well, I think that it was so well organized. It started right on time. Um, the sisters were supposed to be lined up in the O'Connor Hall. And uh, we left mass just a tad early uh, so that we could get over there and uh, it was mainly the, the MCs and us and Sister Francis of the Daughters of Mary, Mother of the Church. and uh, But basically those three small groups. And uh, after a bit, we looked at our watches and said, nobody's here to get us. And there were a few deacons and maybe a priest or two. And we just said, maybe we need to go to the front. And sure enough, everybody was lining up. The Blessed Sacrament was already, the bishop was holding up the Eucharist and um, Father Gaines was there saying, oh, sisters, please come get in line. There you go. All right. And so we start marching off and suddenly Father puts a microphone in my hand and says, um, sister, please lead this hymn, page four or maybe five. And I and he walked away and I was like, oh, all right. Uh, well, all right. Oh, salutaries. And, or, you know, I just started in. And luckily, I can't hear a church or I would have been a little aghast at that request. And then I realized you've got to put the mic right against your lips or it wasn't going to do anything. Yeah. And having been a former singing nun, I was able to just bite the mic like you're supposed to when you're singing. Eating and ice cream. They say eat an ice cream cone, right? That's, what that's they say. right. That's right. It's a little gross, but you got to do it. Anyway, um, I have never had outside of baptizing a man, the only baptism I've really ever done. And it was a full real baptism. Um, I think this might be the second greatest thing I ever got to do was lead the voice, be the voice of the procession uh, as we walked through the streets of Spokane. And the only other time I've ever heard of this was in our farmer community. We used to do these all the time, these, these processions, um, but especially around the Feast of Corpus Christi or other times. But this was hugely, uh, I, I just felt so humbled and happy. And Father Gaines was there just, he gave us clear directions, go forward at, and that the lights, observe the lights, but you know, we don't have police. So just do follow the law and go your way. All of the route was very smooth. 
The people followed the law. We crossed at the right times. We all joined up at the different altars. It was smooth, easy, fast. Hey, I mean, we prayed the entire rosary. We sang all kinds of hymns. We stopped at three stations and they were called stational altars. And we, uh, the bishop would either lead prayers or they would, we would pray together. And then onward to the podium where I don't know if you ever remember in the movie, Jesus of Nazareth with that was directed by Zeffirelli. Um, it was Franco Zeffirelli. Um, remember when on the, on the route to Jerusalem, you had this like a crisscross. Um, it was like a pathway that crisscrossed up to the temple. And you can see the people all crisscrossing and going up there. Well, that is what we did during that procession. And you can see little communion kids, little girls throwing flowers, flower petals up one side. Then you can see sisters going up the, you know, the next one. And then you can see the blessed sacrament. And then you can see the seminarians. You can see the, um, all the various groups of people who had come and were in groups to honor the Lord. And all the way up, it was just this, it seemed like a, a mighty throng of people who were just there to express their love. And it looked like it had taken months to organize. But in reality, I think it mostly just fell on Father Gaines and others. Also, you know, Father, when we got into the church, that beautiful altar was made by our friend, Father Tara. Who, oh, really? Uh, really? Yes. And he did it himself. He is a master uh, designer and builder and also a sewer of vestments, sacred vestments. He can make a fiddleback vestment like you've never seen. And this man is the humblest person. Mm -hmm. And he just, he came to the procession. Nobody knew him. Nobody knew about him. No, nobody knew what he did. But this man was there. And I'm so glad because he was... Um, Truly, I mean, I think that this procession through the streets of Spokane to honor God was a, a, a combination of so many small parts. The person, the people who were running the little girls and all the pedals, who picked all the pedals, who got them all arranged, parents probably, sisters, um, various other people, um, just so many different groups. All the seminarians were there, all the poor, poor Christie men were there all the um, various groups in the church. It was truly magnificent. Wow. What a great, uh, thank you for telling that. Yeah. I, um, like I told you, we missed the procession. We only caught literally the tail end. We showed mm -hmm. up as the tail end was going up that crisscross set of stairs, making their way into the podium. And um, it was, uh, uh, it was again, the, the striking, one of the striking things that ended up happening was, going into the podium itself, you had so many of the faithful, but then they had all of these banners. And at first they just were thinking, oh, they're banners of saints who had a love for the Eucharist. And then it's like, no, no. These are banners of saints of people who love the Eucharist, of saints who love the Eucharist and their first class relics, including a relic of the true cross. Wow, it and was amazing. Wasn't that striking? Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I went around and even though we are actually allowed to, in a religious house, you're allowed to have a certain number of relics. And so we had some of those relics and some people were up there doing this wonderful reverencing of the relics. And 
Well, I've got to confess, some of them were taking a very long time and really, really making it a devotion. And that was beautiful. But I just wanted to touch my rosary to the relic case because we weren't allowed to pick it up or anything. And they had someone guarding each of the relics, which was yeah. really nice. And um, so I just kind of went around and maybe snuck around and just touched it. Um, but I did get caught by one person who said, um, there is a line. And I looked and she was the only one in the line. But I said, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to touch the my rosary to the relic. That's all I need. And she said, that's all we all want to do. And I was like, okay. Oh. And I thought, I will not be doing this then. So the the, the line for the true cross was, way back and uh but you know a, a very beautiful comment from a, a I think he must be eight years old a young man his mother told me he said mom look at this relic of the true cross he said this wood is why we are saved this little piece of wood is why we are saved and have a church and are able to be in our church and she's her eyes filled with tears and i was so touched because this little guy just got uh had uh, first confession first communion and confirmation last year in may so it hasn't even been well it's just been a little over a year and this this kid gets it totally gets it and by seeing that relic reverencing that relic he had a chance to make this observation, which I don't know if he would have ever made that observation mm -hmm. what, unless this had happened. Yeah, that's so striking. Uh, my, uh, I had my, the three kids that we have at home there and uh, we were up in the, the rafters or the, the, you know, the stands. And so we, uh, we actually loved having that sort of overview look where you could see all the faithful and get sort of direct line access to the Lord in, uh, in the adoration time. But uh, we could see the lines. And during one of the breaks where the uh, a priest got up and did sort of a Spanish translation, my 11-year-old daughter said, Dad, there's like almost no line at the true cross. Can I run down? So she ran down and she got in and she noticed a sister cutting in front of her with a rosary and touching. Oh, oh, no. Oh, but guess what? It couldn't have been me because I was standing in the back all during that Spanish talk. Oh, you yeah. rascally theologian, you. Yeah, I'm teasing you, sister. There was no one cut her off. It was fine. They call that they call that a jocose lie. And as long as you clarify it, it doesn't even go into the Eighth Commandment. Nice. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to lead it. I don't Amen. want to sin here. So never, never. And you never would. It's all it's a it's funny. That's a, OK. That's adorable. So uh Anything jump out at you from the reflections? So you had Dr. Mary Healy shared about the biblical theology of the, of the mass and, and reflected on the uh, multiplication of the loaves. And then you had Bishop Daly reflecting on the road to Emmaus story and identifying five themes associated with discipleship. Anything jump out at you? And like, was, do you feel like it was the Lord saying, here's a word I'm serving to your heart today? You know, I think it was probably the stories um, as Dr. Healy was going through the various aspects of our faith in that joyful voice of hers with the, the, the beautiful expression of 
her own personality coming through, her clarity, her just being able to tell the stories of, you know, what it is to be a Catholic and to have uh, this proven, I mean, it's just like this, this deep reverence that Catholics oftentimes just take for granted of the true presence of Jesus. I think it was the, the stories. Um, I even opened my phone and started uh, writing some things down because they were so profoundly impacting. I had some missionaries of charity next to me and they were just kind of going, huh, sister's using her phone while she's at this event. And, but then if they looked closer, they would have seen that I was actually um, just writing down some of the things and they joked with me afterwards and it was all good. But she did say um, that Ita Misa S. Now I always said, thought go, uh, the mass is, is over. Go in peace. The mass is over. But Ita Misa S. She said, "Go. She is sent, and she is the church." I guess I had never heard that, mm-hmm. and that just uh, kind of nailed it down for me. That, and she did mention many things that I sometimes talk about in my days of prayer, where I am. Uh, you know, I I bring about this phenomenon. I, I just bring up the phenomenon that we process into the church. We process to the uh to the gospel we process to the offertory to bring up ourselves in the bread and the wine which then are offered to god and sacrificially and then changed into the body blood soul and divinity of christ which is then we process up to receive what used to be us and now is jesus and we bring him out to the whole world the and also he is then transubstantiated or trans he is transmuted into us because of our digestive system, which God designed, and he knew that his divine son would become us in this sacrament, and that we can now be the hands and feet and faces of uh, our Lord as people read, uh, are greeted by us, and maybe we are the only Bible they will ever read. So, um, in leaving the church after mass, Dr. Healy also said, you are now entering mission t- territory. And she said that was a sign outside of, uh, and she mentioned the church where it was. And then she also mentioned um, the four words that Jesus always did when he says, you do it to the apostles when they say, we, you know, however many days wages would not be enough for 5,000 men and all their wives and children and everybody And, but the four words are took, blessed, broke, and gave. And Jesus does this with everything. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives, whether it be his own body in the passion or in the last supper and the Eucharist, or even in this wonderful miracle that Jesus was, was uh, foreshadowing his own uh, changing of his uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity uh, I mean, changing of this bread and transubstantiating his uh, into his flesh and blood, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So I thought that was pretty impressive. And everything the bishop said, I just felt so happy to be there in the presence of our ordinary, who was sharing with his diocese, assigned to him by Pope Francis, and all of us are there, not the whole diocese, but a portion of it, and hopefully uh, in place of the entire diocese, all of us were there absorbing the beauty of what he was sharing. 
and his um, preparation. And also one of my friends from the summit from years ago, uh, over 10 years ago, we had had a summit where 50 people were brought together from the diocese and we all talked uh, about the No Love Serve program. And at that time we had spoken and shared among ourselves, wouldn't it be great if sometime we could call the whole diocese together for uh, a big procession of the Eucharist and just proclaim him to the whole city of Spokane and then do an hour of adoration in some place where we would all fit. And, and it happened, look at that 10 years later, but still it happened. And what a beautiful thing. Yeah, amen. I actually also took notes. Here's my little notes. Wahoo, let's in my hear. phone. I was there typing away. You didn't have uh, a missionary charity looking over your shoulder. I did not. I just had my wife looking at me saying, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm taking notes, dear. Um, and so uh, I wrote down um, the priest. One of the stories she told was about a priest in this missionary territory. And he said, we are to lend Jesus our flesh. That was wow. so striking to me. We are to lend yeah. Jesus our flesh. And I was, it, that just really struck me. And I was just like, okay, if, if I really want Jesus who's coming into me in Holy Communion, am I lending him my flesh, right? So that it is no longer I who live, but he lives in me. And the other one was oh. from that same uh, scripture about the multiplication. And it had to do with trust. And she, she, she shared something I'd never heard, but I thought it was a brilliant insight. When the apostles took the seven loaves, when they first started to give out seven loaves to 5,000 people, what were they giving out? Well, you know, what was so, yeah, little tiny bits at first. <laughs> and then I thought that was so human. And then pretty soon more and more as they realized it really is being, you know, and then gathering in more than the amount that they even, you know, be began. Yeah, with. So, baskets full. And, yeah. and so it was a beautiful point. The point, folks, if you weren't there, was that. If you're trying to be pragmatic and say, how do I feed 5,000 people with only seven loaves of fish, or seven loaves of bread, I'm just going to break off a little crumb and just give it to someone and break off a crumb and give it to another one until I start to realize that, wait a minute, I'm not running out. Let me give a bit of a bigger piece. Let me give a bigger piece. Let me give a bigger piece. And I'm still not running out. So I can give an even bigger piece. Wait a minute. Now I can start to give out a whole loaf. And now I'm giving out whole loaves and I'm still not running out. And all of a sudden, the first people that just got a little piece are coming back and I can give them loaves. And I can't give away the loaves fast enough because the Lord is multiplying. And it was, do you trust in the God of superabundance? Do you oh. trust in the God of abundance and superabundance, will you trust him enough with your little offering? And that, wow, that really struck me personally. Tom, our Lord said before he ascended into heaven, greater things than these shall you do. And this is why I wonder why we don't do this more. Father Casey did this in Michigan when he was giving out food to the poor. He he would oftentimes, rep, you know, uh, just replicate the the increase of the loaves and fishes, and the same thing with Saint Gerard, the same thing with many other saints. So they did have trust that the Lord would provide, mm -hmm. and Mother Angelica, and so many other um, people. Who did you ever were... hear about those um, garbage dumps in Juarez, in um, just over the border? into Mexico, there's a ministry that serves food to the poor who literally live at these garbage dumps. And they've experienced the multiplication of food 
as they've served meals and they realize we, we don't have enough food for all the people that are showing up and they just keep serving and keep serving and keep serving. And this big chunk of ham is not getting smaller, even no matter how many slices they're cutting and they just keep cutting and cutting and cutting and people keep coming and the food keeps, and they're just blown away. They experience that. And to hear those stories is stunning. Yeah. Yeah. This is happening now. And it's our trust in our Lord. If we, are if we go out to the edge and do this feat of whatever it is we are to do. Yeah. I didn't know, know when I got up yesterday morning that I was going to be leading the prayers and the hymns at the procession. Sometimes God just hands you the mic and says, go for it. I and like you, that. You just have to move. And if you can't walk, that means maybe you're not trusting enough. And sometimes we just have to trust. That's my prayer that I will be open enough and trusting enough to go forward to the place where I am leaping off in blind faith to know that God's got me. And if I don't, then I just don't believe in him enough. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Okay, so when we think about the person in all of human history who had to trust God more than any other, the one who said yes to the Lord more deeply and profoundly than any other, that has to do with the beautiful feast day that we experience in the church on Tuesday. The feast of the holy name of Mary, our beautiful mother. Wow. Oh my goodness. So sister, you're a sister of Mary, mother of the church. You are named Sister Mary Eucharista. So what do you do? What does it mean to you personally and as a community? Well, I I like to do what St. Anthony did, and he would sometimes say the ma- name of Mary very slowly and lick his lips because the sweetness was so great. So that sounds weird, but if I lick my lips a lot on Tuesday, then I will, uh, it's because I'm thinking of St. Anthony and doing that because it is, it is a mindfulness thing that I think, you know, at the risk of getting chapped, you just have to enjoy the spiritual value of that. Mm -hmm. But also just to say the name of Mary mindfully during the rosary, the uh, Hail Mary, full of grace. And this brings us to the angel Gabriel's uh, honoring of her with the request that she be the mother of, of the Savior and Holy Mary, mother of God. And that's where we say the word, maybe to pronounce it with affection or to pronounce it with joy or to have some mindfulness there in the heart of Christ that Mary was chosen by God and she is a model disciple and she is the one who has great power to help the world today. Nice. I love that. When I think about the idea of honoring the name of the Blessed Mother, the name Mary, I think that can sort of operate in our lives in different ways. You talked about the sort of devotional approach to relics. Yes. And so I think that there's a, let's call it a, an affective, affective dimension to it. And then you also talked about it in terms of um, like spiritual action, like praying a rosary and, and putting a focus on the name of the Blessed Mother. What about, let's call it the relational dimension? Because I think that there are those who can act with great devotion and even have a great affective side to it and undertake an activity like praying the rosary. But I'm going to talk about 
the Blessed Mother from the standpoint of, do you, how do you describe, let's call it, your personal relationship with the Blessed Mother? Do you ever use that language? Of course, it is, it's, it's part and parcel of what it means to be totally consecrated to Jesus through Mary. St. Uh, Louis de Montfort is very eloquent about his affection. He formalizes it in his book, True Devotion to Mary, and he bases it on scripture, on the words of the fathers and doctors of the church. But then he proposes all these certain actions, which if they're just actions, it seems a little weird just to do actions without having a relationship. But frankly, the only reason we pray is to gain a relationship with God. And Mary helps us with that. I think of Mary truly as my mother. Watching my mother treat Mary as a mother and have an affection for her and not only to pray the rosary, but to carry rosaries. Always there was a rosary in her purse. Always there was a shrine to uh, Christ and Mother Mary in our home. We were enthroned to uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And along with that can go the enthronement also with the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And if Mary is your mom, that means Jesus is in your family, which means you've got a relationship with him as well. And St. Joseph's got to be there too. So really it brings the Holy Family into uh, a a sense of relationship. Uh, That relationship can go so far as like Père Lemay, he would keep a constant flow of affection for Mary, like, oh, mother, help me today. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I am really not feeling well, but I know you're going to give me help. And he would just kind of murmur and talk to her all day long. He even asked her, he was an old priest in France, and he even asked her to give him, he was very embarrassed about his huge feet. And he would say to her, I just don't like my big feet, mother. Don't you think you could help me out? And one day he went to put on his shoes. He had to get new shoes because his feet were small. It's just such a wild little miracle, but it's awesome. And it's what Mary would come and visit Perlame. She would visit Louis de Montfort. People would look down the road and see two people. And as they got closer, they would see one. And then they would say, wasn't there a woman walking with you? And he said, yes, there was. And he would smile and they would say, well, who was it? And he'd say, "Mm, well, all right, I'll tell you, it's Mary. Mary was walking with me. And, you know, the saints were doing this, but it doesn't have to be them doing it just alone, but they're good models for us. Why can't we have Mary walking with us? Why can't we ask Mary for little feet if we have big steamboat feet, you know? Uh, All right, so I've got a question. So when you are relating to the Blessed Mother, is she at a certain age? And uh, like, do you imagine her, you know, St. Anthony had Jesus visit as a little baby, yes. right? The Saint, the great mother Teresa, the great Saint Teresa, he came as a young man, yes. right? So different ways that the blessed mother has appeared to different, you know, visionaries and, and saints. Sure. In your life, how do you imagine the blessed mother? Well, she's not static for sure, because sometimes I'll think of her in St. Anne. Uh, like as a small child, I really think of her as a baby, even though the infant Mary, the Maria Bambina, which is the feast of the nativity of Mary, the only two feasts we ever celebrate, maybe three because of St. John the Baptist are, you know, Jesus, nativity, baby, Mary, nativity, baby. 
And then, you know, we don't think of it as a birthday with birthday cake, and then they're an adult and we give them a birthday cake. But St. John the Baptist, also the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. So these are three babies days that we celebrate. So Mary, um, I think of her on that day as a baby, but most of all, I think of her as, uh, well, with St. Anna, small child, I think of her three years old and climbing the steps to the temple where she is received. And in the tradition, it's that Simeon receives her. You know, Simeon was about 200 years old when he received Jesus. So, of course, he was going to be on the lookout for this beautiful, sterling child who amazed the temple with her uh, holiness. But um, so I like to think of her as a teenager. But then especially under the, the cross, Mary is there. And I think of her as a womanly woman during the public life of our Lord. I sit with her in the cenacle and under the cross. Uh, I put my arm around her at the cross and I know I can't give her comfort really except to accompany her and not mm -hmm. say much. Um, but in the cenacle, yes, my title is Our Lady of the Cenacle. So I figure she really likes me to sit with her there. Um, but at the Annunciation, I'm just as at home. So it's really, it's kind of like uh, watching my mother have a relationship with Mary, watching my father have a relationship with Mary. These dad taught us the consecration to Mary. You know, and he said, my queen, my mother, I give thee all myself. And to show my devotion to thee, I consecrate to thee this day my eyes. And he pointed to his eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my entire self. Now, this action of my father's, he taught it to us when we were just little. And he said, honey, you can say this every day if you want. And it was just impressive to see my nuclear engineer dad teaching us the consecration to Mary and being so he was a Polish Catholic. So, of course, he his parents spoke only Polish. So he was a duo, duolingo guy. I mean, he had two languages, but um, you couldn't tell listening to his voice. But by golly, hearing your dad and your mom have a devotion to Mary, it lingers with you. Everyone in my family, I think, has a relationship with Mary because of my parents. Well, sister, that's beautiful. I love that story. What again, what a great testimony that um, parents, when you hear this, the importance of living your faith in a way that fosters faith in your kids. Don't be afraid to take advantage of feast days like the feast days that are coming up, right? So we have the uh, the exaltation of the Holy Cross and Our Lady of Sorrows. These are beautiful opportunities to um, draw upon the liturgical tradition of the church, the liturgical calendar, to introduce things to kids and then maybe start building habits, building a culture in the home that involves some regular forms of devotion to the Blessed Mother. Well, sister, believe it or not, we are out of time. And oh I really, I know it goes by so fast, but you're going to be on in, in a uh, next Tuesday. I'm going to have you back on for the whole show, sister. Get ready. Buckle up. I'm All right. excited to have you on. And of course, we know exactly what we're going to say the whole time. We do not. But that's OK. We haven't the faintest idea. We can go deviate at any point. <laughs> As the spirit leads, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Sister Mary Eucharista, thank you so much for being with me today on the program. I really appreciate it. Please join me tomorrow for more sound insight. Thank you, Tom.